this passage, Luke and Jonah, are intended to close that gap so that our heart toward the message of mercy is more like God's. But just because we preach about it doesn't mean it's going to happen. What's going to have to happen here is each of us is going to have to depend upon God to bring that about if it's going to happen. Because we want to become more of an effective part of the triumph of God in the world. As we met for prayer this morning, we heard some requests from people for those that were in their world who don't know Him and haven't heard or have a need to hear the message of mercy again. So this morning, that's, the, that's going to be a big part of, of how we can do that. And money and things and greed factors into that. Let me ask you a question. What's real living for you? You ever heard that expression? Boy, that's real living. That's real living. Uh, it, there was a time in my life that if you'd asked me that question, Frank, what's real living for you? I would have said something like this. A hole in one in golf. That's real living. Or having a house on the golf course where I could play free anytime I wanted to. That's real living. Okay. Now you have things that are, you'd say, you, it wouldn't be those things. But there are things you say, wow, that would be real living. Or uh, there was a time in my life I would say, July, August, and September at a cottage on the beach. Three months. That's real living. Uh, and a one-pound lobster tail on Saturday night, free. That's real living. Well, you say, what kind of a messed up guy are you? Yeah, but see, you are messed up too. You just have different things that are real living for you. Uh, there was a man, an Englishman, William Carey. He was a missionary to India in the late 1700s. Um, as he went there, he went supported by people in England. However, the support was not enough. So as he got there to the mission field, in order for his family to live and the, and, the, and the mission work to go on, he had to find a way to make more money because the money coming from home wasn't enough. So he did find a way, and part of his weekly work was to find a way to make some more money. Now, when that word got back to England, whoa, that raised a furor. People were mad. The people who gave money for him to be proclaiming the gospel were upset that he would be finding a part-time job, in effect, and that word came back to him. So he wrote a letter. Part of that letter said this. He's trying to tell them why he's working and what's going on. I can only say that after my family's bare allowance, my whole income, and some months more than that, goes for the purpose of the gospel. My income goes to support individuals who assist in the translation of the Bible who write copies of that translation of the Bible, who teach school for the sake of the Bible and the message of the Gospel, and things like that. 
I mention this only to show that the love of money has not prompted me to pursue the plan I have engaged in. I am indeed poor and shall be until the Bible is published in Bengali and in Hindustani and the people want no further instruction in the Gospel in India. Well, how long will that be? The rest of his life. Between William Carey and myself, which one of us has a definition of real living that's closer to the heart of God in the world? Which one? Which one of us has given more to become an effective part of the triumph of God in the world? Which one? You won't embarrass me. What you're thinking is true. William Carey, without a doubt. But before you settle on that, let me read just a a little portion of a prayer that God put down on paper. It was probably a part of his journal or his letters home, and it's on that little sheet of paper that you have. I want you to have this prayer because it's unlike any prayer you're likely to pray, I should say. It's unlikely to be a part of many prayers that I pray anyway. Here it is. O Lord, Lord Jesus, I am by nature a rebel and find more pleasure in what You've made than in You. I am sick and corrupt. O Christ, how plain it is to me that now that I need something so much deeper, so much more powerful, more personal than my own fleshy efforts to keep the law, help me turn away from all earthly pleasures and cling to You alone as the all-satisfying joy of my life. I want to read that again. And cling to You as the all-satisfying joy of my life. O Lord, I pray that You would have mercy on me. Open my eyes, the eyes of my heart to see You as You really are in all Your surpassing glory and triumph in the world. May I love and embrace You as my King who has lovingly called me to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. What I see and know of You now, I embrace with all my heart. I receive You as my Savior, my Lord, and my treasure. I ask You to dwell mightily in me and make Yourself the victor in my life so that the glory will go to You. Amen. William Carey was an effective part of the triumph of God in the world, was he not? Indeed. Dear ones, prayers like that need to be on our hearts and our lips. How my prayers pale by comparison to his. Last week, we looked at the first 12 verses of Luke 12. We heard Jesus call His disciples to two big things. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The message of the Gospel is corrupted when His people, when you and I, when the disciples of Jesus Christ embrace and proclaim Him with their words and live something else out to those who are closest to them and see what they think, hear what they say, watch what they do. And the second thing 
Jesus said to His disciples, Was I say to you, He who denies Me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And it's this hypocrisy thing that Jesus is, has in mind when He warns them. Don't deny Me before men. Don't say one thing and then do another. And then call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ unless you're prepared to repent at that moment in front of that person. To say, I love Him, and then refuse to love the undeserving in your own family or in this church family is unthinkable in light of the triumph of God in the world. Is it not? To say, He's been merciful to me, and then be hard-hearted toward your family or your, anyone in your church family is unthinkable. It's antithetical to the Gospel. We can't hold them both at the same time. We have to let go of one. The hypocrisy of verses 1 and 12 continues now into this passage. Into what may be the greatest hypocrisy of all. This week, as I've studied this, it's done major surgery on my own heart and mind, but not enough. Not enough. I've prayed that today, as I preach this to you, that He'll do it again in me. To say I trust Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins and eternal life with Him, but not to trust Him to supply my personal needs and the needs of the kingdom at the same time out of what He gives me is the ultimate hypocrisy. This week we'll hear Him say in verse 15, Beware! Be on your guard against every form of greed. This is a subtle thing. That's the point. This greed thing is subtle. And it's got you by the throat and you think you're being holy. Dear ones, today the Scriptures are here to shine the light into our souls and our hearts and minds so we will see the hypocrisy of the way we think about and deal with things. Money. Riches. What do the disciples have to embrace to be an effective part of the king of the triumph of God in the world. What do they have to be on guard against? You know, verse 32 of chapter 12. Look at it. Verse 32 of chapter 12. Hear the words of Jesus and embrace this by faith. Here they are. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it's the fa- for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Three parts. You see it? I want you to say it with me. Here's part one. Do not be afraid, little flock. Say it. Do not be afraid, little flock. Second part. For, the, for your Father has chosen gladly For your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. To give you the kingdom. Now let's read it together. Say it together. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. What's important in His mind? Say it. What's important in His mind? The kingdom. We say, Heavenly Father, I love You. Just don't ask me to make the kingdom be first. 
How about second or third or fourth? I'm much more comfortable with it being there. You see what I mean about how hard this is? And we haven't even got to the, the tough stuff yet. This is what we're going to hear Jesus teach them in these few verses this morning. He's going to say, not in these words, but this is the idea. He's going to say, first of all, embrace the king, not the possessions that he gives. Embrace Jesus, not the things that he gives. Fall in love with Jesus, not the things that he gives. Second, embrace being rich toward God in everything. Embrace being rich toward God in everything. Embrace, thirdly, by faith how valuable you are to Him. Fourth, embrace the lavish generosity of the King. Lastly, maybe the hardest part, embrace trusting God to replace all you give for the triumph of the kingdom. And I probably should have said it just wasn't enough room on there according to His will because I don't know how he's going to do that. All right, now let's look at these. We're going, to, we're going to pick up at verse 13 of chapter 12. Jesus has just called his disciples to a life of no hypocrisy. Not a little, none. A life of confessing him before men. As you walk in your family, in, in your friends, at your work, in school, to speak about Jesus, a friend of sinners. Jesus, the one who has been merciful to us and has forgiven us and has died in our place to confess Him. And if that gets you into trouble, and it might, to trust Him to give you the words to say before those who would ask you how you could be so bold to say things like that. Now, that brings us up to verse 3. Verse 13. What should have been the response of those who heard Jesus' words? Who should have responded? Well, many heard the words, but he was talking to his disciples. And his disciples should have responded with something like what we heard William Carey say. Oh Lord Jesus, we are by nature rebels and find more pleasure in what you made than in you. We're sick and corrupt. Oh Christ, how plain it is that we need something more than our own efforts. Help us. Help us turn away from earthly pleasures and cling to You alone as the all-satisfying joy of my life. That's what they should have said. But they were silent. They had nothing to say. So a man with a temporal focus speaks up. Dear ones, if we walk in the world with nothing to say, those with a temporal focus will speak up. All you have to do is be silent. Look at verse 13. Here's what he said. Imagine the scene. A multitude so vast that they're crawling all over each other. They've, some of them have heard what Jesus said to the disciples. And they heard nothing coming from the disciples. So a man from the crowd, someone in the crowd says, Teacher! Got his hand up. Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Wow. Wow. What a setting. You know what? 
as absurd as that situation was, as totally bizarre as that situation was, Jesus had just talked about to them about forgiveness of sins and mercy for sinners, and the first words spoken are, hey, my inheritance is very important. Tell this brother of mine to give me what's my share. You know what? It's possible we could do that today. We could do that today. We could hear, beware of greed, and then leave this place and focus on things. How, how do I know that? Because I've done that. But the multitude, the crowd is waiting to hear Jesus make a ruling. But no answer comes, only a question. Jesus doesn't give an answer to that. He just asks a question. To the man who yells out, he says, Who made me your investment arbiter? Jesus won't be distracted from focusing on priorities his triumph in the world requires. He won't go there. He stays focused on teaching His disciples. And we hear it in verse 15. Now He switches from the question to the man to his back to His disciples with a warning to them. You see it in verse 15? Beware and be on guard against every form of greed. Every form of me first. Kids, that's on your kids' notes right there. Me first. See it? My wants. Me, me, me. You see, greed in this case is viewing the resources that God sends for the kingdom as exclusively for me. And you know, this is hard for us, dear ones, because we do have a lot. Even the poorest among us have a lot. You know, if we could be in Steve Brandon's shoes today in Nepal, we'd see what poverty really is. We'd see what lack and want really is. There are those here who by comparison to others have lack and want. But there is no poverty here. Greed is just being willing to say that which God has put into my hands to shepherd and steward is just for me and mine. I'm going to do with it as I want with no thought about the triumph of God in the world and the resources that He's put in our hands to be stewards of. And in verse 15, He says, after saying, Beware, not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of possessions. Hear the, hear the word life here. Not even when you have an abundance, many of us do, does your life consist of possessions. Life isn't real living. Possessions aren't real living. But sometimes we get really confused and we make possessions real living. The anticipation of getting them if we don't have them. But the bottom line, Jesus is saying, no, real living is me. Not the things I give. Think about this. Think about this. Jesus is on His way to Calvary. Chapter 13, He'll be in Judea. 
He's closing in on the trial for his on the trial and his death and burial and resurrection. Jesus is about to give his life out of the riches of his love for God and for us and for the triumph of God in the world. How could possessions be misconstrued by his disciples as real living? I tell you what, folks, I'm, I often get confused about this. And I, I don't stay there and say, oh, I'm confused. I just think wrong about it. I get fixated on something that I want. And it takes precedence over even asking the question, how do these resources he's put in my hand, what, what part of them does he intend for the triumph of God in the world? See, Jesus wants His disciples to be crystal clear about this. And so He tells a story. I love Jesus' stories, don't you? Tells a parable to illustrate this point. That brings us to our second point. Embrace being rich toward God in everything. Now, let me just give you a couple of rules for interpreting a parable. A lot of you, as you're reading your Bible, you'll come up against a parable. You'll read a parable. What do you do with that story? Let me give you a couple of rules. Here's, here's, here's what you do with it. You have to remember that a parable that Jesus tells, a parable illustrates a spiritual truth. Usually one. One spiritual truth. A parable illustrate, is, has one teaching point. Not ten. Not five. Not two. One And it's usually, there's no doubt as to what it is, it's usually at the end of the parable. Sometimes it's at the beginning, but usually at the end. So here's the rules. Just remember, the story is teaching a spiritual truth, one usually. The parable illustrates one teaching point, and it's clear. It's mentioned at the end of the parable usually, or sometimes at the beginning. All right, let me read the parable. We've read it once. Let me read it again. Beginning of verse 16. Jesus tells this parable. The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, Hmm, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. I'll say to my soul, I'll say to myself, soul, self, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, you know this proverb, right, in life? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. Okay, well, that's, this is where that probably came from. What does, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul be required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? What you've worked so hard to store and hang on to. So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, what's the teaching point? This is, this is more difficult. This proverb is a little more difficult than most parables. I think I said proverb. This parable is more difficult. Because you could look at this and say 21, verse 21 is the meaning of the, of the parable. This is the teaching point. So is the man who treasures 
who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And you know what? I wouldn't argue with you if that's what you, the conclusion you came because it's not much different. But what follows in verse 22 is the words of Jesus interpreting. He said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you. Now, if you're a careful reader of the Word of God, you have to say, you have to ask yourself the question, for what reason? For what reason is he going to say what he's going to say? Now, because I don't have time to dialogue and discuss this with you, I'm just going to tell you. Because, because you can have things and not be rich toward God, Jesus is going to say to his disciples, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. For life is more than food. Life and the body is more than clothing. Life is more than what you put inside it. Real living is more than what you put inside your body. It's more than what you put on your body. Kids, life is, mo- is what? Life is more. Real living is more than food and clothes. Take a breath and hold it. Everybody ready? I'm going to talk without taking a breath. We, we at least think of one more thing. It's more than food and clothes. Life requires air, breath. You can take a breath whenever you need to. Okay. So at least that. What does Jesus mean when He says life is more than food and clothing? There is something more, but what? What is the more? We're going to keep going. Verses 24 to 28. Because the point of the parable is Real living is more than things. It's more than what you put in. It's more than what you put on. It's more than what is, is in your... I have to have this. I've worked hard to have this. I'm going to work hard to have this. So much so that it begins to become the all-consuming thing. But Jesus says, after saying... No, real living is more than things. It's more than food. It's more than clothes. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. Isn't that good to know? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to, his, cubit to his life? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why are you anxious about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays, so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and gone tomorrow thrown into the furnace, how much more will He clothe you? Here it comes. O you of little faith. Here it is. It's how much He values His own and their life of faith in Him. 
That's what it means to be rich toward God. Being rich toward God isn't how much do you give, it's how much do you trust. How much do you trust Him? How much do you walk by faith in Him to give you what you need and what the triumph of the kingdom requires? Something more. The something more is walking by faith in Him. You see, He puts a small amount in some people's hands. He puts a bigger amount in some people's hands. He puts more than they can contain in some people's hands. But what's common to all three is they need to trust Him for how to use it, how, how and when and if to replace it, and real living, being rich toward God, is walking by faith in Him. And listening to, hit what, to loving Him, listening to what He says, and then depending on Him to enable you to say no to some things and yes to the things that He leads you to. You know, when we think about life being more, real living being more than food and clothing, here's what we've heard, heard Jesus say through the proverb, through consider the ravens, consider the lilies. I will do more for you than I do for the ravens and the lilies. Do you believe that? I will do more for you than I do for the ravens and the lilies. Do you believe that? I'm, I'm waiting. Go ahead. All right, say it out loud. Do you, you need to hear yourself say it. Yes. Yes, we believe. Help our unbelief. Right? Yes, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that gives complete... Uh, the complete answer, isn't it? We look at the cross and we say, oh yes, He's done life. Real living is more than food and clothing. It's the triumph of God in the kingdom. Point four. These disciples have to embrace the lavish generosity of their King. You know what? Like them, dear ones, like them, maybe you think of your God as stingy. And He would never give you what would really satisfy. So you've got to go get it for yourself. Dear ones, when he says beware and be on guard for every form of greed, even greed that has to do with the length of your life. You know, some people, because they anticipate living a long time, want to be sure that they've got tons ready for that, rest, for that part of their life where they're not going to be working anymore. And everything is there and ready for themselves. So they hang on to anything that they think will ensure that and they resist anything that they see as a threat to it. Verse 29-32. to 32. Back to the disciples. Jesus says to them, And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink and do not keep on worrying. For all these things, the nations, the pagans, the unsaved world eagerly seek. But your Father, but your Heavenly Father knows 
that you need these things. When you know your Father knows, what does that do for you? When you know that your Heavenly Father knows what you need, what impact does that have on you? Does that, is that the, do you say, if He knows, that's good enough for me. I'll trust Him to bring it in His time, in His way. And I don't need to put off being a part of the triumph of God in the kingdom in order to ensure me getting what I need. Because He knows. But seek His kingdom. And these things are going to be added. This comes as standard equipment. You put the kingdom first and your needs are standard equipment on that vehicle. It's the most fully equipped car there is. And then comes our verse again. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Say it with me. Three parts. Ready? Do not be afraid, little... I, here, are you saying it with me? I, I didn't hear you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Dear ones, some of you need to say that every minute, all day long, because you don't believe it. Not really. You say, how do you know that, Frank? You can't see it in my heart. No, I just see it in the mind. I just see it in the mind. And I need to say it every minute of every day. That He gladly will give me the kingdom and everything that's needed for that. What is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? I want you to turn to Luke 22. Look at Luke 22. Here's a description of the kingdom. I love this. Luke 22, 28. Luke 22, 28. He's talking to his disciples again. Boy, these guys, they got the best of the best. They had the best preacher, you know. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, he says to them. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Just as my Father has given me a kingdom, disciples, I'm going to give you a kingdom. See, the kingdom of God is Jesus Christ Himself. And all that the disciples will have in Him, and the triumph of that kingdom... And so he says, so don't worry. Don't worry. Trust me. Our Father knows. Your Father knows. So don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. What should they be afraid of? Look at, go back to Luke 12, verse 29. What should they be afraid of? Actually, it's verse 30. About 29 and 30. Don't seek what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Don't keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. See, they ought to be afraid of being like the pagan nations. That's what they ought to be afraid of. They ought to say, we can't, we've got to trust Him, not ourselves. Longing for material needs instead of longing for their King. Last point, verses 33 and 34. Embrace trusting God to replace all you give for the triumph of the kingdom. 
add this to your notes, according to His will. He doesn't replace tit for tat every time you give. It's not like that. But He will continue to give what's necessary for your needs and what's necessary for the triumph, for your part in the triumph of the kingdom. Both. He will give them both. Now look at, listen to verses 33 and 34. If you haven't been shaken yet, you will shake now. Get ready. Sell, if you get it, if you get this, sell your possessions and give to charity. The word charity, if you look it up in your concordance, means for the sake of mercy. Sell your possessions and give to that which puts the mercy of God in Christ on display. And in doing so, make yourselves money belts that do not wear out. Dear ones, do you know what that's like? Have you ever experienced that? That you gave and you found yourself having the same amount or more in your money belt after you gave? That's what he's saying. Give for the sake of the triumph of God in the world. And you're going to find something out that like the, the widow of Seraphath, remember? Elijah said, feed me first. But I've only got enough flour and oil for me and my son to make one cake and eat it and die. He says, make one for me first. If you do, your flour bowl will stay full. Your oil will stay full. She did, and it did. Wow. Wow. Make yourselves money belts which don't wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven. You see, this is faith stuff, isn't it? Isn't it? Where no thief comes in, no moth destroys. And here's the, where your treasure is. That's where your heart's going to be. You, people want to know where you're, what, what you really value, just watch what you, look, look where you spend it. You'll see it. You know, as, let me just draw this to a conclusion. Uh, here's, here's the deal. Are you trusting or are you greedy? Yeah, that's the question. Am I trusting Him or am I greedy? You know what? This is a hard question to answer. We have so much, it's hard to know. We have so much, it's hard to tell. Let me give you a few things. It, it's greedy for us if we prefer the possessions in an equal way to our God or in a greater way than to our God. What do you dream about? What do you dream about? What do you say? Oh, if I could only do this. If I could only, if I if I could only have this or do this, what do you dream about? Is it things you want, things you have, or is it him, his purposes, his triumph in the world, and how you can be a part of it? If it's the former, you're struggling with greed, maybe losing. Let me give you another one. If we prefer the treasure we can store up for ourselves rather than being rich toward God, walking by faith in Him and what He can give and supply. See, hidden in in the hearts of some of us, me, for number one, is, 
is the part that says, I'm not sure he'll give me what I want. I'm not sure he'll give me what I want. So I can't go there. I have to go down the, tra- down the road of what I want. You see, what is it? God wants you to be a, a trustworthy conduit. He wants to be able to pour into your hands and know that you'll pray and then put it where he wants it. Either for you and your needs of your family or for the triumph of God in the world. One more. If we'd rather worry about the things that the, natures, that the nations seek rather than seeking every possible way we can participate in the triumph of God in the world, we're struggling with greed. If we'd rather, if you find yourself worrying about the things that the world, the unsaved world, is worrying about, greed's in there, folks. Greed is in there. You won't lose that for anything if you can help it. What can you do instead? Trust Him. But it's not greed if we'll trust God to cause what He gives, just like verse 33 and 34 say, to be enough for both my needs and the tri- my part in the kingdom and the triumph of the kingdom. To be that which will never fail because it comes from Him. To, to never be able to be stolen. You can't be ripped off. You can never be a victim when God is the giver. Do you believe that? To never be consumed. It can never be consumed by moths or by a down market. And if we'll trust God to give us a heart that treasures Him most of all. Here, here's what I want. Okay, I got, I'm two minutes past, but I'm going to stop in two minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a lot, a lot of guys say that. Get in the habit of praying. Get in the habit of praying when you, che- when you get your paycheck. Okay? And when you, when you get your paycheck, however often you get paid, you and your, and your family get together and you just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for putting this in every time you get paid. Get your wife, get your kids and say, let's thank Him for this. It's from Him. It's for us. It's for His triumph in the world. Pray as you create your budget. Now, you've got to create a budget that's for your needs and you create a budget that's for the triumph of God in the world. Your part in it. Pray as you create your budget. Pray. God may, God may bring along something that says, hey, like, we, we heard about something just this last week. Remember when Dirk went to Indonesia to do a hydro project? The, the, the amount of money that it's going to take to buy the equipment and install that hydro project is $1,900. So we hear about that. We hear about that. Now, dear ones, we have enough. There's no doubt we have enough. The question is, what does God want? And so we walk out of this place and we say, God, what about that $1,900 to, follow, to finish off the reason Dirk went there so that the people, the servants of God who are there will be able to do their work better? We don't lack We just need to look to God. And then thirdly, every time you pay your bills, I don't know who does that in your house, whether it's the wife or the husband, every time you pay your bills, you pray. You pray. Thank you that we have the money to pay this bill. 
uh, should we keep this in our budget? Or is this something we can get out of our budget? So we can have more money that would be available for the triumph of God in the world. Look at the back of this sheet. Let me encourage you to do three things with your family this week. I want you to be sure each person in your family that can read, that's old enough to do this, can recite Luke 12, 32. Let's, 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 let's do it again. Here we go. Ready? Part number one. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father glad to give you the kingdom. See, I've got to work on that. Secondly, read the account of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17, 1-16. How did God provide for Elijah through the widow? How did God provide for the widow through Elijah? See, we need to, we need to hear these triumphs of God in the world stories. True stories. And then lastly, have a discussion with your family. What things do we have or long to have that we love more than we love God and the triumph of His kingdom in the world? Have that discussion. Okay? I'm going to close in prayer. And I want to read William Carey's prayer. So bow your heads with me. O Lord Jesus, we are by nature rebels and we find more pleasure in what you've made than we find in you. We are sick and corrupt. O Christ, how plain it is to us now that we need something much deeper, much more powerful, much more personal than our own fleshy efforts to do this. Help us, Lord, turn away from all earthly pleasures and to cling to you as the all-satisfying joy of our lives. Lord, we pray that you'd have mercy on us. Open our eyes. Open the eyes of our hearts so we can see you as you really are in all your glory. May we love you and embrace you as our King who has lovingly called us to seek first his kingdom. Help us, Lord, that what we see and know of you now we'll embrace from the heart. Father, we want to receive you. We thank you that we have received you as Savior, as Lord, and as treasure. We ask that you dwell mightily in us and make yourself the victor in our lives so that the glory will go to you and not to us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.